0: I hope that you have your Bibles with you today because today we're just going to have an old fashioned Bible study. Uh, Just going to simply look at the Scriptures and see what the Scriptures say. Uh, There's not going to be a homily as far as making any kind of points and whatnot. We just simply want you to open your Bible and look at what the Bible says and see what we can learn from it. I'm going to have the Scriptures up here on the screen, but it'd probably be useful for you to go ahead and turn into your own Bibles or what other type of electronic device you may have, because you might want to link some of these passages together, and you might want to make some notes uh, how these passages intertwine. But Basically, we're just going to be looking at some Scripture today and making some points that come from the Scripture, and we hope that it will be beneficial to all of us. The very first Scripture we're going to look at today is Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. It's the passage that Frank read for us a few moments ago. The passage is from the prophet Jeremiah, and of course Jeremiah is prophesying in this particular passage about something that's going to happen in the future, a thing that's going to change, something that's going to take place in the future. And once again, notice what he says. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day I took them, out, took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Now as you look at this prophecy, I want you to notice some things that I've highlighted in the text that's very important for us to see. I want you to notice that Jeremiah prophesies that the day is coming when there's going to be a new covenant. In other words, the covenant that they have now, the old covenant, the law of Moses, the one that Moses gave when he came down from Mount Sinai, was going to be done away with and there would be a new covenant. In fact, he goes on and says that this new covenant will not be like the covenant that I gave them when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. And once again, when we see that particular sense, we picture in our mind the Israelites leaving to the land of Egypt, they encamp around Mount Sinai, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, there he receives the tablets of stone that contain the Ten Commandments. He brings them down and presents them to the people after some problems with idol worship and the breaking of the tablets. But with his second Ten Commandment tablets, he bases the entire law of Moses on those those ten principles that we now call the Old Testament. But notice once again what it says. It says it's a new covenant that's not like the covenant that was given to them on Mount Sinai. And here's where the differences will be. First of all, it will be something that that will be within the person as far as the law is concerned because it's going to be written on their hearts. And it won't be necessary for the Jewish people to try to teach the rest of the nations about this law because all people will be applicable to this law from the least of them to the greatest. Regardless of who you are, whether you be Jew or Gentile, regardless if you be male or female, Whatever your situation be, this is a law that's going to apply. And then he tells us why it's so important that this new covenant take place. Because of the fact this law will forgive their iniquities and cause God to remember their sins no more. And he, of course, is making application to the fact that under the Old Testament law, especially a system of redemption, that every year there was a day of atonement Every year, sacrifices had to be made for the people. Their sins were forgiven for that year, but the next year, they had to do it all over again. There was always a repeating cycle of a day of atonement, of animal sacrifices, just continual, continually, because their sin never really was forgiven. And that was one of the faults of the old law, and it had to be replaced so God could say, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I'll remember their sin no more. But now we're going to move to the New Testament, and we're going to see how the writer of Hebrews makes application of this particular text in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 through 13. Notice what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he meditates is better, since it's enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there had been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, and right here in the small print, I want to print it all the way out because we just read it, we have the writer of Hebrews quoting directly from Jeremiah chapter 31 beginning at verse 31, the thing that I just read to you. Now the writer of Hebrews is quoting from that, and this is what he's using to make his point. After reading the quotation to us, he says, And in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now once again, look at some things that I highlighted in the text. Notice he refers to the Old Testament as being old. The old covenant. The law of Moses is old. It was the first covenant. But now there's going to be a second covenant. In verse 13 he talks about how that this will be a new covenant and that the first one will be obsolete. And since it is obsolete, then it's going to go away. But make sure you understand what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying that Christ is a better high priest. He has a better priesthood because he has a better covenant than what the old covenant had. It mediates between God and man in a better way because it's enacted on better promises. And then he goes on, he says, if, there was, if the first covenant didn't have any problems, if it was the perfect covenant, then there would be no need for a second covenant. But the point that the writer of Hebrews is making is there was a problem with the old covenant. There needed to be a new covenant. And the fact that there, as verse 13 says, that there is a new covenant... That means we are no longer under that old covenant is being done away with. It has become obsolete. The word obsolete means of no value. It has no purpose anymore. Well, anyway, when you think about that, think about what we've established thus far. Jeremiah tells us that there is something that is old and is the first covenant. And the writer of Hebrews points out the fact that if there was something old, that means there's going to be something new. If there was a first, there was going to be something second. Well, here's the problem with the old covenant and why the writer of Hebrews says that we needed a new covenant. We understand and appreciate, well, let's look at this very quick. Uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 13, he says, In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. I had it up there to emphasize the fact that this was old. This was the first. And going just a few chapters over in the book of Hebrews, we discover in chapter 10 and verse 9, then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. Talking about Jesus Christ and why he came to this earth, he does away with the first in order to establish the second. Once again, emphasizing the fact one was old. There's now one that's new. One was the first covenant, but now we have a second covenant. Jesus Christ came to this earth to do away with the first covenant so he could establish the second covenant. But here's the problem we need to deal with. The reason why the old covenant is not a good covenant, the reason why the old covenant was found found to be faulty is because the old covenant based its system of redemption on on the blood of animal sacrifices. Notice what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 9. He says, Therefore not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded to you. Well, there's a problem, of course, with this particular idea of having animal sacrifices to take care of the sins of mankind. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us that it had to be the blood of Jesus Christ if mankind was really going to be saved. The reason being, no matter how many animal sacrifices I made, it never really was truly acceptable because of the fact uh, I'm I'm a human. I'm not an animal, I'm not a goat, I'm not a calf, I'm I'm not a bull, I'm not a sheep. Uh, That's not a proper sacrifice for me. In order to have my sins fully remitted, in order to have the proper blood take place, it had to be another human to take my place, and it had to be a perfect human that took my place. And so the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22 and also in chapter 10 and verse 4 points this out. He says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. In other words, Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20 points out the fact, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. God's justice must be taken care of, and if God's justice is going to be taken care of, that means I need to die for my sins. Well, Jesus Christ came to this earth to take my place, He was going to die for my sins. Something had to die. It had to be Jesus Christ. And so the writer of Hebrews makes this point. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But then he says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. All those animal sacrifices that took place under the old covenant was just simply a placeholder until Jesus Christ got here. All those sacrifices under the old law really had no effect on man's sin condition. It was all based upon Jesus Christ. And once again, we see a very glaring thing here about the problem with the old covenant, with the Old Testament, and the law of Moses is the fact that all the things that it taught for far as redemption is concerned through the sacrificial system of animals, it's impossible for any of that to work without Jesus Christ. And that is why Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 31 that it was something that was not without fault. It was something that had a problem and it needed to be replaced. So when you think about uh, those two things, uh, we need to think about a particular verse that's really a very important verse. Right there in the center of the cross, I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 9, verses 16 through 17. Folks, this particular verse is a key verse as far as understanding how that there once was an Old Testament law and now we're under a New Testament law. How that there were things that were practiced under the old law that are no longer practiced and how things in the new law we are required to practice. But notice what the text says. I'm sorry that my little red letter in there kind of took over the text there. But it says, For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Now, the writer of Hebrews here is making an illustration from an everyday event that we even are familiar with today. Say, for example... We'll just pick on Frank here since he's right here in front of me. Frank comes up to me one day and he says, Jim, when I die, I'm going to give you $2 million. And after I get up off the floor, I'll say, thank you, Frankie. And uh, I say, man, that is so generous. That's so nice of you. And he says, yeah, I'm going to leave it in my will that once I die, uh, that will be what you'll get. You'll, You'll get part of this as my will. And I say, I appreciate that. Well, I start thinking about that $2 million, and I start thinking about all the things I'm going to buy. I'm going to get a, a, a big old mansion. I'm going to get a big old nice car. I'm going to buy all this stuff. And I start thinking about that, and I start getting a little greedy, and I go out and start charging all this money, borrowing money. And I get myself in a bind. And I go to Frank, and I said, You remember that $2 million you said you were going to give me? And he says, Yeah, may I am. He says, and I said, Well, is there any way I can get it right now? And they'll say, well, Jim, I'm not dead yet. You need to wait for me to die. It's in my will. And my will does not go into effect until I die. Now, what's the point that the writer of Hebrews is making here? He's making the point that we were under an old law. But once Jesus died, His testament, His will came into effect. Before He died, the Jews were under the law of Moses. But after he died, everything changed. Look at the text once again. For where a testament is, and he's talking about the testament of Jesus Christ, there must be also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise there is no strength at all while the testator liveth. Use the illustration once again, just because Frankie promised me. $2 million, I need to understand and appreciate the fact that it will not go into effect until after he is dead. And I still, once again, Frankie, I appreciate the money. That's so nice of you. But make sure we understand this, that the law of Moses was not in effect until Jesus Christ died. But once he died, then another law came into effect. Another testament came into effect. Before the cross of Jesus Christ, the New Testament not in effect before the cross. Anything that you read about in the New Testament, as far as the commandments, as far as the, uh, the scripture being ap- applicable to us, it has nothing to do with us until Jesus died, died on the cross. Therefore, once he did die, though, the Old Testament not in effect after the cross. In other words, once Jesus Christ died, that put an end to the Old Testament law. That put an end to the Old Testament practices. That put an end to the Old Testament commandments. Because now that Jesus has died, we are under a new covenant. Remember what Jeremiah said? He said that the first will be taken away and a second will replace it. He talks about how the first was old and there would be a new one. The old one needed to be replaced because it had problems. But there will be a new one, and that new one we discover takes place after Jesus died on the cross because a man's testament or will does not go into effect until after his death. Well, notice how this creates now a dividing line. The cross becomes a dividing line as far as things that we do in our faith and practice today. For example, under the old law, in order for that old law to apply to you, you had to be born a Jew. But people sometimes forget this. People think that the Old Testament was something that was applicable to all in the days of Moses. But when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and delivered the Ten Commandments to the Israelite people and then took those Ten Commandments and expanded them and to what we know as the law of Moses. We need to understand that he was giving them to Jews because they were for Jews, and they only applied to Jews. It was given to the Jewish people. And the only way that this was applied to you was if you were born a Jew. A person automatically, when they came out of the womb, Whether they were male or female, if they were born to Jewish parents, they automatically became a Jew. They had no decision in it. There was nothing they could do about it. They were born a Jew, fleshly birth, and therefore they were under the Old Testament law. Don't have a a lot of time to discuss it today, but we've talked about it before. You can go back and look at Old Testament history and you discover, though it's not expressed, that there was a whole different system of religion given to the Gentile people. The Old Testament talks about the Gentiles and their priests. Talks about the Gentiles and their offerings. Talks about the Gentiles and how they were applicable to other things. But the Old Testament was given specifically to those who were born a Jew. If someone today says that they are under the Old Testament law, then what they are saying is that they are a Jew. That they are descendants of the Jewish people. They have Jewish uh, blood in their, li- in their veins, and therefore Moses gave them this law in perpetuity after he came down from Mount Sinai. In order to be under Jeremiah's law, as he talks about it, the old law, the first law, you had to be born into it. That's the reason why there is a problem. That's why Jeremiah says we need to change this. Well, you move into the New Testament after Jesus Christ dies, and what do you discover? you discover now there's a new birth, a way for all of us to be born again. Remember what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter uh, 3, verse 5, he says you must be born again if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. You must be born of water and the Spirit. Under this covenant, it doesn't matter who your ancestors is. It doesn't matter who your father and mother is. It doesn't matter what your lineage is. What matters is if you've obeyed the commands that Jesus Christ has set forth so that you can become a Christian and you experience a new birth. And that's for everybody. It's not just for a certain group of people. That's why Jeremiah said this covenant had problems. It only applied to a certain group of people. But the new covenant, the New Testament, the second covenant, everybody can be a part of it. Everybody can experience the promises that were given to Abraham. This covenant was based on faulty promises because it only went to one group of people. But this goes to everybody. And therefore, we have the thief on the cross. that happened before Jesus Christ died on the cross. Oftentimes people talk about, well, if I'm going to be a Christian today, I want to be saved like the thief on the cross. We've heard that so many times. You know, he wasn't baptized. He didn't do those things that the other people did, and I don't want to do them either. Well, you need to understand that the thief on the cross was someone who was still living under this old law. Jesus Christ died, and now if we're going to be saved, we need to be saved in the way that we hear the Apostle Peter tell us in that very first gospel sermon we have on the day of Pentecost. Remember he said in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus, whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. And it says that when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter tells them in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 that they needed to repent and be baptized for the remission of their sins. The thief on the cross is not a good example of salvation under the New and the Second Covenant because he lived under the Old and the First Covenant. But once Jesus died, then that all changed. Now we need to be saved in the way that the New Covenant says, the New Testament says, the Second Covenant says. But also, notice under the Old Covenant, people kept the Sabbath. The reason why they kept the Sabbath was because they were told by Moses that God wants you to keep the Sabbath. But people don't often realize the purpose of keeping the Sabbath was not only because God rested on the seventh day, but it was to commemorate their being led out of Egyptian captivity. But still, regardless of the reason why they kept the Sabbath, we need to understand and appreciate the fact the command to keep the Sabbath was under this old law, that first law, the old covenant, the first covenant. But we move into the new covenant after Jesus Christ dying on the cross and doing away with the old covenant, we now are commanded to worship on the first day of the week. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 1, he says, upon the first day of the week, let each one of you lay by in store the way that God has prospered you. Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, Paul tarried in Troas... Why? Because he wanted to meet with the disciples on the first day of the week. In fact, every single event that is of any significance in the New Testament occurs on the first day of the week. The day of Pentecost was on the first day of the week. John, when he wrote the book of Revelation, he had his revelation on the first day of the week and he refers to it as the Lord's Day. But we're running out of time. Look at some other things. Notice that... Under the Old Testament law, they were to use instruments in worship. I don't have a big, long time to discuss all this, but we know from reading the book of Psalms and looking at the life of King David that he instituted instruments into the worship service under the Old Law, under the First Covenant. But as we look in the New Testament, we discover that what the New Testament prescribes, this New Covenant, this Second Covenant, it tells us to sing and make melody in our hearts. Instruments are not allowed. In fact, if you look at the early church instruments is a very late innovation that has come about uh, almost 500 years after the first century church. But here's the thing we need to make sure we understand especially. And that is, under the old law, you had ten commandments written on stone. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he presented these ten commandments written on stone. But as Jeremiah has told us in Jeremiah chapter 31 that this was going to change, and under the new covenant, we're going to have a law that is written on our hearts. In other words, all those ordinances that began with the law written on stone is going to change. Jeremiah prophesies that, and that is the case. And to back it up very quickly, I'm going to go through these scriptures very quickly because we... I know we're running out of time. But jot these scriptures down. Uh, get the opportunity to study them for, uh, further. Uh, do some research on them. But very quick, quickly, we're going to go through some things that are said in, in the New Testament about the Old Testament. Galatians chapter 3, 18 through 25. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it is no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham. By a promise. Now what he's saying there at the very beginning is that there's no way in the world that we could receive the promise given unto Abraham because of the fact that Abraham was told that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. But if we're under the law of Moses, then we're, we've got a big problem. Because I'm not a Jew. I would dare say that nobody here today is a Jew. So there's no way in the world I can receive the promise that was given to Abraham that through thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. But after that, he asked the question, well, then why did God give us a law at all? Why do we even have the Old Testament? He says it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels or, uh, or, or messengers by intermediary. In other words, what he's saying is you have Abraham receiving the promise that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's going to come through Jesus Christ. But the law was put there in the middle as intermediator to let us understand and appreciate the fact how ugly and terrible sin is and how big sinners we really are. Without the law, we would not know about what sin is. Now, intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that would give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. In other words, if there was some way we could have been saved by the law of Moses, the Old Testament, then God would have provided a way for it. But the scripture, talking about the law, imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under our guardian. Or to make the point that Paul is making, now that faith has come, we are no longer under the old law. And then another scripture in Galatians 4. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham, Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through a promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Now, make sure we understand what Paul is telling us here. He wants us to go back to the Old Testament and think about Abraham and Isaac, I mean, Abraham and Isaac and Hagar and Ishmael and Sarah. How that Ishmael was the child of Hagar, who was taken out of the way. She was told to leave. And Isaac, the son of promise, was given to Sarah. And notice what he says we need to understand allegorically. Hagar represents the old law. Sarah represents the new law. The Old Testament, the New Testament, the first, the second. And notice what he says. Under this old law, like Hagar, she is in slavery with her children. But then he goes on and says, But Jerusalem is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one that does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, You who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one would be made more than those who was a husband. Uh, He's talking about the fact that the promise was made to Sarah, the free woman. Now you, brother, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. He's talking about the Jewish people who were persecuting Christians back then because they weren't keeping the old law. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Now, what is Paul saying? We are no longer under the Old Testament. We are under the New Testament. To be under the Old Testament is to be enslaved. To be under the New Testament is to be free. To be under the Old Testament is to be like Hagar. To be under the New Testament is to be like Sarah. One was the promise, was a son of promise. The other was a son of slavery. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say unto you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Now notice what he is saying. He's saying that when we became Christians under the New Testament, we are free from the old law. And if you go back and try to accept any tenet of the Old Testament, here he he mentions specifically uh, circumcision. And if you're going to go back and keep any tenet of the Old Testament, whether it be circumcision or whether it be Sabbath keeping, whether it be the Levitical priesthood, whether it be the feast and holy days of the Old Testament, well, then you're going to be obligated to keep the whole law. In other words, you can't just pick and choose what you want out of the old law to keep. If you're going to keep the law in any way, the Old Testament law, you've got to keep all of it. And if you do so, look at the penalty. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Folks, that's some scary stuff. If I want to go back to the old law and keep any aspect of it that's not carried over in the, to the New Testament law, then I have been severed from Christ because I'm obligated to keep the entire law and no man can keep the entire law perfectly. And therefore we are fallen from grace. Colossians chapter 2 beginning at verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. The blotting out of the handwriting of ordinances is making specific mention of the law of Moses. The law of Moses was written by the handwriting of God on those Ten Commandments. They were ordinances, commandments, and law given to the Jewish people. But as we've already pointed out, when the death of the testator took place, when Jesus died on the cross, he took it out of the way. He nailed it to his cross. It goes on and says, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. In other words, Jesus Christ is the only one who has kept the law, so he's the only one that can be saved by the law, and he's the one that did away with the law. And if that's the case, notice what he says. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or dietary laws of the Old Testament, or in the respect of a holy day, such as the feast days, as Pentecost or Passover, or the Feast of Tabernacles, or of a new moon, talking about the Jewish calendar, or of Sabbath days, which are our shadow of the things to come, but the body is Christ. In other words, we who are Christians should let nobody judge us about the fact that we don't keep the dietary laws of the Old Testament, that we don't keep the feast days of the Old Testament, that we don't observe the Jewish calendar like the Jewish people did under the law, that we don't keep the Sabbath day and make it holy like they did under the old law. Why? Because when Jesus died on the cross, that was done away with. They were just a shadow of the things to come. But the body, literally the real, the firm thing is what is in the, in the Greek, the real thing is of Christ. In other words, the Old Testament law was just a shadow of what the real was going to be. Then in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. The reason why the Old Testament law had to be done away with, the reason why Jeremiah said it had its faults was because it only applied to the Jewish people. Gentiles could not be saved under the law of Moses. There had to be something better. There had to be a second covenant. There had to be something where Jesus could say to us, I will remember your sins and iniquities no more. The old law had to be done away with so he could create in himself one new man in place of the two, Jew and Gentile, thus finally making peace between those two sets of people. But... One more passage, Romans 3, 19 through 22. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Very quickly, because we are running out of time, the, Paul in here in Romans is making the point that the law of Moses was given to us to prove to us that we could not save ourselves, that every man was a sinner. We are without excuse. Every mouth needs to be shut. they saying, I deserve to be saved. The law proved that's not the case. But there was no righteousness of God Through that law, all came from from it was the knowledge of sin. The righteousness of God is manifested apart from the law. And even the law and the prophets said this was coming. We began the lesson with Jeremiah 31, beginning at verse 31, where Jeremiah prophesied that this was going to happen in the old law, that a new law was coming. He goes on and says, The righteousness of God through faith is in Jesus Christ for for all who believe, for there's no distinction, in other words, whether you're Jew or Gentile, you are now a mem- uh, this law now applies to you. But we need also, as we close today, that there are some things found in both. Uh, there are principles in the Old Testament that are carried forward in the New Testament, but the reason why we know we're still under those principles is because it is found in the New Testament. But notice what Romans chapter three and, uh, 13 and verse nine says. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now what is he saying there in Romans 13 verse 9? He says we don't need to, once again, make a list of the Ten Commandments, like what we have listed up here. He's obviously talking about things that are part of the Ten Commandments. He says we don't need to have the Ten Commandments now in the New Testament age or this Second Covenant or this New Testament. Why? Because the New Testament is based upon this particular idea that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If everything's predicated upon law, uh, love instead of law, then you don't need to have a law telling you not to commit adultery. Why? Because love dictates that you don't. You don't need to be told you can't kill someone. Why? Because love dictates that you don't. You're not going to steal from your neighbor. Why? Because the Ten Commandments said that? No, because love dictates you're going to treat your neighbor as you're going to treat yourself. That's a commandment of Jesus Christ. And if we obey that commandment, then there's no need for the law of the Ten Commandments. In fact, how did Jeremiah put it? He says, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. In other words, there will be no need for a written tablet of stone listing all the things that we shouldn't do because the law will not be something that we can hold in our hand. The law will be something that's in our heart. And our heart tells us that because of love, it takes care of those things that need to be taken care of as far as a moral issue is concerned. Now, somebody might say, well, Jim, are you telling us we just need to take the Old Testament out of our Bibles and throw it away and never use it again? No. Paul reminds us in Romans 15 and verse 4 that the things that were written aforetime, talking about the Old Testament, were written for our learning. There's no way in the world we could ever discover about how terrible sin is. We can never learn about how useless those sacrifices in the Old Testament were. We can never understand and appreciate the fact that Jesus Christ had to die for us. We would never appreciate his virgin birth. We never would appreciate the promise that took place in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 where God says you will bruise his heel but he will crush your head, talking about the beginning of the scheme of redemption. We use the Old Testament to help us to appreciate the New Testament and those better promises and those laws that are now written upon our heart. But make sure before you leave here today that we understand and appreciate the fact that once Jesus died on the cross, the old law was done away with. It was only to the Jews to begin with. But now that we live in the Christian age, we follow the commandments of the New Testament. The Old Testament is just there for our history, for our learning. Paul reminds us in First Corinthians chapter 10 that it's there as an example to us. But our faith, our practice, our salvation, our worship, our leadership, everything else now comes from the New Testament because we're no longer under that law. And I apologize for taking so long this morning. But if you have a need, we want you to respond as together we stand and sing.